Before we get to the podcast, I wanted to make sure that you knew that my online knee course with Lenny Macrina is on sale for $200 off this week. If you want to learn exactly how to evaluate and treat the knee, you're going to love our comprehensive course where we cover our clinical examination, exercise progressions, and specific information on ACL, meniscus, patellofemoral, articular cartilage, osteoarthritis, and so much more. Plus, you can earn a ton of CEU credit. The course is on sale this week for $200 off. Head to MikeReynolds.com slash knee for more information and to sign up today. On this episode of the Ask Mike Reynolds Show, I am joined by Dr. Phil Page, one of my good friends, to talk about some of the good and bad of research and journal articles. The Ask Mike Reinhold Show. Helping people feel better, move better, and perform better. Before we get to the podcast, I wanted to make sure you knew about my free online course on the introduction to performance therapy and training. If you want to learn how to get started optimizing and enhancing performance, this is the course for you. Head to MikeReynolds.com slash performance to sign up today. Welcome back, everybody, to the latest episode of the Ask Mike Reynolds Show. I am with my good friend, Phil Page. I screwed up your name. I almost called you Page Phil. Uh, Phil Phil Page, uh, who... um, you know, Phil and I just spent the last uh, couple hours or so now um, uh, kind of uh, filming some presentations for my inner circle on research, which is, you know, one of the areas that I think Phil is awesome at. He's, um, you know, obviously one of one of the people I've looked to over my career on how to learn how to like read journal articles and digest information for them and understanding good research and bad research. And, you know, I've seen him speak and do a bunch of things over the years. Um, so Phil's the man for that. And I've been trying to get him for like, what was it two years? You think Phil? Years. <laughs> yeah. Two years. I'm just like, Hey man, you, you got to film these presentations for my inner circle. Because I, I think everybody loves them. So, um, so anyways, but thank you for doing that. If you're not a member of my inner circle, you got to check it out. But um, I also wanted to do a special podcast episode because, you know, him and I were talking and, and I have a lot of questions. So, Phil, before we get started a little bit, just tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks, Mike. So I am a research director and assistant professor in physical therapy at Franciscan University here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. It's a new program. We're just uh, finishing up our second cohort. Uh, so it's a new school, and I spent the last 20 years working with Performance Health as their director of research and education. Um, and I've been a research geek since my first year of college. Uh, many, many years ago, as an undergraduate student athletic trainer, I did a, a research project as a freshman, believe it or not, uh, and I got the research bug, and I've had it ever since, and so it's really just been a fantastic ride for me to now be research director. It's like a kid in a candy store, right? So I've got, you know, 40 students every year that are doing independent research projects, so at the end of, of, uh, of, of the cohort, I I've got 80 students involved in research at one time. I just, I love, I just love this. It's so much fun. <laughs> well, and yeah, yeah, one of the things I give you a lot of credit for, though, is that you, you're a PhD yes, and sir. you're a, a research-based kind of person here, but you're very clinical. And I think yes, sometimes we don't, sometimes we don't have both of those put together. So I think you get to see a research article and the things that are being published from, from multiple perspectives because of that. And I think that's super helpful. Yeah. So, um, so that was neat. So I'm going to start off with this question. 
question. I, I, okay. I want to go from here. I'm going to kind of ask you the questions, I think. I don't know. what sure. this, this is a weird episode, but we're going to go with it. Um, <laughs> I remember when we were first getting started and we were younger in this profession, um, journal articles were golden. They were like, they were evidence. They were science. Everything about it was was always perfect. So you went to a journal article and said, this is perfect. I feel like nowadays where I don't know if things are becoming so diluted or we just have so many journals, but I feel like there's a big difference now between a publication and evidence, right? Mm. There's so many publications out there. Mm. I, I've read so many articles over the last several years, especially the last five or so that mm. I just think, well, this is, this is not good research. Like yeah. this is bad research. This is not helping our profession. Yeah. This is not, this is not helping us. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Is it just me? Am I crazy thinking that? No, Mike, it's tough. And uh, I, I, I keep up with the literature. I'm fortunate enough to, um, to do that as my job, right? So everyday clinicians that are out there working eight to five and seeing patients, it's tough to keep up with the literature. And, and I get frustrated that there is so much out there, first of all, that you have to sift through, right? right. And, and a part of it, Mike, obviously, is that there's that old publish or perish, right? So there's this big push for academics to have to publish their works. Um, I will tell you that at least in the physical therapy world, it's not that big of a push um, because um, in, in the CAPTI criteria for physical therapy school, I think we only need like two publications every five years or something like that. Um, so it's, in a way, that's good because it's not flooding right. the market with all this stuff that, that may not be good, right? Now, at what you're seeing, the other part of this is, which I think is the bigger driver, is the um, – there's, there's two things. One is the international side of things where there's more global influence with the Internet that then ties into those journals that are for-profit journals, right. um, and you may call those predatory journals – um, or I, I, there, I think there's a subgroup called, uh, pseudo journals, if you will, pseudo predatory journals, um, where there's now a market fee for publication, right? Now I'm not going to say that fee for publication is a bad thing, um, because it does offer free access. Um, but there are people that take advantage of that and that they allow, uh, articles to get through with very shoddy peer review. Okay. Right. So that's one side of it is that these article, these, these, and I'll pseudo journals, you look at them, they'll have very close to names to the things that we're reading every day and they want to make it look good. And all you need is a, is a word processing thing and an internet page and it make it look like a journal. Right. The other thing is there's a lack of uh, quality reviewers out there. Um, And there are some articles that get through the review process, and I'm not sure how it does, but again, there's a there's a shortage of people that are volunteering to review because a lot of us that are actually over here writing and teaching and, and clinically working, we don't have time to add all these reviews. And I get review requests from journals I've never heard of before. Like, would you <laughs> right. mind spending spending a couple of hours to help m- out my journal that I'm profiting from? Right. Now, I, I, I review all the time for our journals because I think it's a service that we have to do. So there's a lot of factors going into it, Mike, and it's really tough. But now what that means, Mike, is that you can't rely on that article. You've got to be the one that actually looks at it and is able to evaluate it. 
Right. And it's, and it's, it's funny because I was going to ask you about these predatory journals a little bit here too. You know, from my perspective, I, 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 look, I think you're being nice. Like, so you can be, you're the guest on the podcast. You can, you have to be a little bit nicer. Um, there, there are, I, I agree with your sub tiers. There are predatory journals that are just terrible. They are, they're just awful. And I mean, there's, there's typos. You can tell them it's, it's like yeah. really obvious when it's a, a predatory journal, but I will say that, yes, I like the, the for-profit journals. I like that they offer free access to the things. The peer review process is terrible, even for yeah. the best ones. And yeah. absolutely terrible in a, in the peer review process. So um, I, I, even some of the bigger name ones from reputable journals mm-hmm. that are now doing an online, version I'm yep. getting away from because I continue to see poor methodology. So, yep. you know, like, look, at this point in time, there's a zillion research articles out there. We used to remember, like, we used to, we used to hoard those JOSBTs and, and yep. that was like, you know, what you get that for the month and you'd read the whole thing. There, there are so many articles there right now that I just feel like we can answer any question we want and get whichever answer we want, the harder we look. You know, you could, if you're looking, does A do B, you can find yes and you can find no. Right. Yeah. So, I, you know, that's why I think we just got to take a huge step back and just start sticking to the main journals, right? Like, like, like the, the, the top ones in our profession. So, I, so based on that, what are your favorite journals that you read um, that I, cause I know a lot of my listeners and people that, that watch the podcast actually want to know this. They want to say like, all right, if there's, if there's some good journals and bad journals, what, what are your favorites? We won't talk about the bad ones, but what are your favorite journals? We'll be back after a quick break. I hope you're enjoying the podcast episode. If you want to learn more from me, please check out my website, MikeReinald.com. In addition to all my great articles, videos, and podcast episodes, I have a ton of online CEU courses, as well as my inner circle online mentorship and community. Be sure to subscribe to my free newsletter where I'm always sending you great info and exclusive perks and discounts. Just head to MikeReinald.com to get started. Thanks so much. Uh, again, it goes. To, I think it goes to your your interest, right? So, um, I am not treating patients every day. Um, so, my interest is more, uh, maybe more on the um, biomechanical analysis side, right? So, you know, journals like Journal of Electromyography and Kinesiology. I mean, they just that's not something that every clinician is going to want to read, um, but. <laughs> I, I'm using it as, a, as, a, as a, an extreme example, but you know, I, I love, I'm biased, international journalism, <laughs> physical therapy, uh, at full disclosure, uh, I'm uh, an assistant editor of that. But what I love about that journal and what uh, uh, Dr. Voigt and, 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 uh, and Barb, we, we put together this journal that was practical and, um, it was applied. Now there's that balance, Mike, right? So the problem is if I want to do a really good a va- internally valid study, I call those Petri dish studies. They're sterile right. and they're, they're, they're well controlled, but what's the external validity? There is none. So there's, you have to give and take, right? So sometimes these articles may not be very strong scientifically or internally valid, but you give it up with that external validity. So a lot of what we do with the IJSPT is you'll see it's not a lot of hard science. It's practical science. And there's going to be bias. There's going to be some issues with that. 
Um, and quite honestly, we get a ton. I can't tell you how many people, uh, how many article submissions we get. I think Ashley Campbell had told me that that we get like 100 a month. Mike, Mike Voigt would probably tell us. I mean, the numbers is, do you know why I think we get so many? Open because access. They, yeah, 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 because, because people can Pub read Med. it. PubMed. Right, well, it's, so PubMed, open access, but I think you nailed it. Uh, there's there, It's a more clinical journal. Yes. Um, and there's a lot of differences out there. I, I've, over my career, I've seen the transition. I remember when PT Journal, which I, can't, I haven't read in over 15 years, right? So like, so I remember when PT Journal made that trans- transition. I remember when JOSBT started to make that transition of less clinical. And I remember, so like Kevin Wilk and myself, we used to write, you know, tons of current concept papers and we'd always go JOSBT or something like that. And at every CSM, APTA meeting, we would, um, you know, like uh, Guy Simino, like the editor at the time, he would always come over and be like, hey, Mike, hey, the most read article of the year again, right? Like everybody <laughs> loves your article. And I was like, like thanks, Guy. It's, it's, it's clinical implications. Yeah. And I remember now JOSBT is kind of starting to get away with that. In the discussion, if you start talking like, well, I think this means or the clinical implications of this means this, sometimes the editors say, hey, let's not talk about that. And I think people miss that. I think they want to get that. And that's why International Journal of Sports Physical Therapy is fantastic. I yep. think sports health is doing a good yes. job with that. Yep. It's become yep. one of my favorites now. Yep. Um, uh, for pure science, too, for the people keeping track, I think, you know, AJSM, uh, mm-hmm. Journal Sport, uh, excuse me, Journal Shoulder Elbow Surgery, Arthroscopy, mm-hmm. um, the British Journal of Sports Medicine is doing a really good job. Um, you know, th- those are some of our go-tos. And look, there's a million articles out there. You mm-hmm. can read articles all day, every day if you want. None of us have time to do that. Just pick like four of those and just stay current and you're going to be in the upper 99% or 1%, whatever the good percent is. You're going to be in the one uh, of, of our field, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, you know, and, and it goes – I also I, – I like the more the science stuff, right? So MSSE, med size sports exercise. Yeah. Good, good uh, Journal of strength conditioning research. Um, tend to have some good stuff in it. But one of the things that, that I do is I, I just play the field, right? So I'll, I actually subscribe to the t- table of contents for a lot of different journal articles. Right. And then I just look through every month and I go, oh, 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 yeah, no, no, no. And then um, that way I don't really have to focus on one journal per se um, with, with having a, a wide variety of them. But you do want to make sure that, as you said, that you're picking, you're, you're focusing your topic. That's the key thing. Right. I get all over the place, man. I got, oh, right. there's a shoulder article. Oh, there's an ankle. Oh, my gosh, there's an EMG article over. Oh, my gosh. But, but going back to what IJSPT does, and I agree with you 100%, they have that wide, we'll do anything from an EMG study to an epidemiological study. And some journals like JOSPT have focused in on these specific topics. So um, be careful in what you choose um, and don't limit yourself. Uh, And and again, uh, follow Twitter with with these updates too, because there'll be journals out there that I've never heard of or articles that I've never seen. And I'll see one tweet about it and I'll go, hey, I would have missed that if I had just stuck with the journal, right? Right, right. Yeah, and, And getting together... 
like with some like-minded people, like on Twitter, for example, like it's, it's like they're helping you because we're all going to read research together and, and tweet the articles you like. Right. So that way then like, you know, you're getting some, some help from others. And I always find things that like yourself or Dan Lorenz or somebody like mm -hmm. that is, is tweeting out. And I'm like, that, that's, that's amazing. So, yeah. um, one question or another question I have for you, cause I have a lot of questions, but for this yeah. episode, at least I, 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 um, I, I want to talk about some of my disappointment, disappointments and research with this episode a little bit. Okay. I am currently getting very sick of systematic reviews oh. and analyses. I'm getting very <laughs> sick of them, Phil. We are starting to dilute information and have these gigantic reviews that always end with no findings, <laughs> right? Like, like, well, you know, it, and I'm not kidding. I'm going to slightly make this up, but I'm dang close. This is close. There is articles that look like does I, I you know does uh you know a special test mean you have a rotator cuff tear and then you're like okay and then you look at you look at the methodology and there's there's you know 40 studies and subjects range from age 20 to 90, right? Mm -hmm. And you're like, jeepers, there's a big difference between a 20-year-old and a 90-year-old, right? And then in pathology goes from impingement to a full thickness tear with like retraction. And then th their conclusion is always like, well, we didn't find anything, right? Well, of course you didn't find anything. Your subject pool is gigantic. Your pathologies are gigantic. It's, yeah, it's just, it's a lot. So like, like what can... Yeah, Tell me about this. Am I wrong here? No. There's just way too much dilution going on. You know, I, I've, I've done uh, quite a few of these, actually. Um, <laughs> but the good ones, there's good ones. I'm not saying they're all bad. Because well, Mike Ryman always gets mad at me on Twitter when I say this, um, because I, people feel like I'm talking about them. I'm not talking about them. But they're, if, I know. if you put a lot of bad studies together, you just have one big bad study. Yeah, I know. Well, Let's let's let, the, the first time I heard this was at ICUS with Mal and Tim, and they were bashing systematic reviews left and right. Oh and no way, really? So yeah, so well, Mal this was about three years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, what's wrong with them? And it's because you know what had happened was systematic reviews became they didn't became they they are level one research. Okay. What happens is, in and this is level one, which in, in your inner circle presentation, I talked about how just because it's a level one of evidence doesn't mean it's a good study. You have to have quality of a study. You have to go beyond the level right. of evidence, right? right? So yes, we will have very poor level one studies, meta-analyses, all these kinds of things, because if it's if it's built out of poorly designed search criteria, poorly designed, poor quality studies, it's going to give you crap. Crap in is crap out, right? right That's what's going right. to happen with a lot of these. Why are there so many? They're, they're relatively easy to do, right? So we all know right. that a clinical trial is not easy to do, right? Yeah. Systematic takes reviews a long time. are they're not they're not easy, but they're not as hard because you don't have so many things to control, right? Second thing is. Again, at the, let's say, look, number one is that they're level level one. Number two is they're relatively easy. Number three is that they tend to be the most cited I know. types of articles. Yeah, the journals love them. And that's why you get a lot of publications because 
the journal index factors are based on the number of citations. And so is right. your, sometimes your author index, right? Right. Yeah, it, it helps. It helps. I think you left out one too, is a lot of times, and this is one of my problems with system, systemic reviews, uh, systematic reviews. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long morning. Uh, it's, uh, I, I can't wait to read the transcription of that. Uh, one, one of my bees, or, or one of the things I've identified here is this is oftentimes a resident that's doing this. In, mm. And, you know, like the senior, the senior author, like a well-known like orthopedic surgeon or something like that might have his residents all doing something and they're doing a project, but they have no clinical judgment. So they don't even understand that some of the methodology is poor yeah. or, or, or the implications that you're making a little bit off. So I also think this is something where we're seeing a lot of, you know, younger people also doing these types of projects too. And, and not that they're not ready for it or they shouldn't do it or anything like that, but they just don't have the clinical judgment to say like, Oh, like the 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 way that they measured range of motion may right. not have been valid. For example, right. so they, you know what I mean. So I'm seeing that too. But well, no, you're exactly right. Is it? It's not as easy, and people confuse it with a literature review, right? It is not a literature right. review, and actually, there are different types of systematic reviews. And the problem is, <clears throat> in order for you to do a good systematic review, you really have to have this a pretty homogenous kind of grouping, right? Because what you're doing is you're creating a bucket of evidence. Uh, what you're trying to do is make a conclusion based on uh, similar studies or, right. or, or reviewing these types of things. But to your point, you do have to look at those factors. And if you don't know what you're looking for, you're not extracting the right information. Maybe you're not even choosing the right articles. So where right. I'm heading, Mike, where I think a lot of people need to be going are scoping reviews. People don't know what a scoping review is, <clears throat> but a scoping review is really a broader picture of the literature that really captures everything from our meta uh, from our meta-analysis down to our narrative reviews, down to our uh, case studies, they include everything. We usually use scoping reviews with a body of knowledge that's smaller, okay? Right. If you don't have five or 10 articles that are worthwhile, including in a systematic review, don't do it. It should be a scoping review. You should expand that out because you right, don't have right. enough information to make a good co conclusion from a, scope, a systematic review. Right. A friend of mine is an orthopedic surgeon in Texas, Brad Edwards. Uh, he's done a lot in JSES. And he, I, I remember a couple of years ago, he did a nice little uh, editorial in there that talked exactly about what you're saying, is it's time to stop publishing these systematic reviews that don't tell you anything. It's like <laughs> they should be rejected. I, right. I mentioned that you should not reject an article that um, that has that's not significant. A lot of times, sometimes articles are rejected because there's no difference between the groups, which I think right. is wrong to reject. But when I have a systematic review that says we can't make conclusions, don't publish it. That that that's the way I feel about it. It's actually a good. It's a good. Yeah, it's a good point. If you can't come to a conclusion, I I think what happens sometimes is they come to the conclusion, and the conclusion is that uh, the the body of evidence is limited, and more research is needed. Right? That's what we see. But again, I, I, using Every that time. example again, I'm I'm not kidding. Does manual therapy work for shoulder pain? Holy smokes, that's a terrible clinical question because it never defines what manual therapy is. You don't know the experience level of the person applying it. They're grouping in a bunch of interventions as one thing. And then again, you have patients age 20 to 90 
that all have different pathologies. And then they say like, no, yeah, we, we, you know, what's worse. This is what's worse, Phil. You're right. So we're going on, we're going on a tangent here. here's what's worse. Not only is it going to say that everybody in social media is going to say, this study says manual therapy does not work. Yep. And that's, that's right. not what it said. That's not what it said. It just says that right. they, couldn't, they, they couldn't find it. They're going to say manual therapy doesn't work. Well, of course, Ma- manual therapy, whatever on earth that means in that study, for over a wide variety of people with a wide variety of pathology will do a wide variety of things. <laughs> right? So Is that pretty accurate? <laughs> you can't have it both ways, evidence-based people. So evidence-based, remember, is not based on just a research paper that's a systematic review that has a bunch of bias in it. It's not about articles that confirm your bias that you think that manual therapy doesn't work. So I'm just going to stick with this one. It doesn't mean that this article is against you. So I don't talk about it. Right. And it's about adding the context of the situation of the patient and your experience. So manual therapy might work in certain people. Don't throw it all out. I, I love the arguments with ultrasound. I, I'm right. a proponent of modalities in certain situations still. I, of course, I, of course. I, yeah. I, there is evidence that supports it. And then people will turn right around and go, well, this one doesn't. And I'll go, this one right. does. Just like you said earlier. Find something that supports you all day. But what you said earlier, which I was really, um, which really hit home for me was the little things that you mentioned, Mike, about age range, definition of manual therapy that's what's missing from clinicians to be able to look at those things and point that stuff out because like you said a lot of times these articles aren't written by clinical people but at the same time like don't throw it all out it's still good information for us to have we just have to again as clinicians be a little bit smarter and learn how to be better critical thinkers that's where right. we need to be, do a much better job as clinicians. Right. And, and I, I think you nailed it right there. That's why I kind of wanted to hit this podcast episode with this as a little bit of saying like, look, there, evidence is amazing. Research is amazing, but it's not all perfect, right? There right. are some flaws in the system. To, to really be able to get the most clinical implications from it, we have to understand the good and the bad and stuff like that. So uh, awesome, Phil. Thanks for joining us on another amazing podcast. Phil's actually a repeat customer now. That's right. Guest, right. You've been, uh, you've been in the past. We, I stole them when we were at one of our society meetings in the past when we did some episodes. So it was good to have you back, Phil. And thanks again thanks. for your, your, your presentations for my inner circle. I know they're all going to love it. And, uh, and I really appreciate it. Um, if you have any questions for the podcast from myself, some of my amazing guests that we have every now and then, since we're zooming from home during all this stuff, uh, head to Mike and click on that podcast link and out the form to ask us more questions and please head to itunes spotify rate review subscribe all those crazy things you do to podcast nowadays and we will see you on the next episode thanks so much thanks guys thanks so much for listening to the podcast if you have a question you'd like us to answer head to mike slash podcast and fill out the form to submit your question if you enjoyed this podcast please subscribe rate and review us on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast And please share this with your friends to help spread the word. It would really mean so much to us. Please check out all my online courses, articles, newsletter, and more at MikeReynolds.com. There's always a ton of great perks for my newsletter subscribers. And be sure to check for my other podcast, the Sports Physical Therapy Podcast, where I go deep into topics and interview leaders within our field. See you on the next episode.